Blog Talk Radio. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis! And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And hello once again, this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and every week, uh, every Wednesday of every week, that is, Wednesday at noon, we have American Tennis, and thanks very much to the UR Tennis Network and to Jason Haynes for creating that uh, network, and then also now for J.P. Weber's Yellow Ball Network and uh, all that you do to allow this program and many other programs to go out to the tennis public. And just want to remind you, Lisa Stone's program of Parenting Aces is every Wednesday, and excuse me, folks, every Tuesday at noon. My program is every Wednesday at noon, American Tennis, and then also uh, Coach uh, John Denise uh, and his um, coaches preview show is is always on Thursday at, I always get it wrong, 5.30. So there you go. So thank you. And you can also go to my website at uh, chuckcreasy.net. That's K-R-I-E-S-E, Creasy, K-R-I-E-S-E, chuckcreasy.net. And uh, pick up the latest stuff and also dig back into the archives and listen to my programs over the last four and a half years. That's pretty cool to be able to do that. Uh, the internet does have some pretty daggone good things. Uh, would you believe it? Somebody's asked me the other day. To this day, I've still never seen myself play tennis on a video. Do you remember how hard it used to be? People used to have to have a eight millimeter little camera, and then you had to get it developed and all that. And I think one time when I was in college, I had a fella video my serve or something and then we never got around to developing it but now everybody's got cell phones and everything and and there are advantages technology boy teaching kids here's what it looks like that was a big big deal hey folks try sometimes and i don't want to get off the subject but video your uh players body language between points just do the body language don't do any of the shots just do the time between points 
that works wonders in working with kids. That helps them so much. If you would just video the <laughs> video the body language between points. Also, another thing that is unbelievable works great is video only the lower body, just the footwork and stuff, and don't show the kids the stroke. So it's a great teaching tool. Thank goodness, I guess, for all of the technology. But uh, anyhow, I got on my top technology deal. But I wanted to um, thank you for listening, and I wanted to go right on to the topic. But I have a good friend that says, Coach, man, you always get off on those political topics, and you always start talking about what's wrong with American tennis. I, and I always tell them, well, look, Tell me the proof's in the pudding, in the proof in the pudding here. I mean, you know, we uh, we are doing fantastic with kids about 16, 17, 18 in there. We're winning Wimbledon titles and Grand Slam titles and hats off to those junior coaches who bring those kids along. But where we drop off and the proof is in the pudding is the college is just – bottom out. Our college kids are not developing for more than one reason. They lose motivation. It's been dumbed down. We all know that. College tennis, it's it's a, it's a laughing stock compared to what it used to be. It used to be really something that was a springboard to professional tennis, and now it's becoming an after-school activity, little by little, and uh, there's some great teams out there, great coaches, and I'm not slamming you, but I'm slamming our ITA for not sticking up for more tennis, dumbing down the format, doing what you do, and the proof's in the pudding. We only have two players right now on the men's side in the top 100 that went to college, two American-born players. We only have one female player, uh, Nicole, let's see what's, I think it's Nicole Gibbs, the girl from uh, Southern Cal and the girl from Georgia Tech, Falcone. And, and that's about it. It's been about 20 years on the women's side. So really it is not a training ground. And what's worse is the kids know this. But they talk about that. They've just been dumbed down more and more practice time. And they've been dumbed down with, golly, we used to play 60, 70 matches a year. And the kids now are supposed to only play 25. Give me a break. And it, it really is uh, – it's not a training ground, and uh, speak, and I could go on forever, but I used to get to work at a training center where college players uh, also, their team would come to practice. It was laughable, the workout that the college kids went through, especially on the female side compared to the training that the kids were getting trying to be championship players. Uh, the 14, 15-year-olds were working twice as hard as the college kids, so and out of proofs in the pudding there, there's no, uh, you want to kill your career, uh, college, other than about six or seven really, really dedicated coaches that work on people's games and try to get them out there. It's not the deal that it used to be. We sure do want it to be. We sure hoping that in the pros, uh, we've got seven or eight young men and a lot of young ladies that were brought up by their coaches and a lot of opportunities given, but they may pan out here Soon we've got, I think, a couple kids in the top 100 to TFO boy, and then uh, the I think the Riley Palco kid, and and a couple others are doing pretty well. So again, the proof's in the pudding. I mean, gee whiz, we're trying to uh, in junior tennis dumbing down again, and I'm saying dumbing down in junior tennis as far as opportunities. Some of our kids are doing great. I don't want to. 
I want to give that um, pat on the back to those coaches who are doing a great job with juniors. But it's too hard to run tournaments. There used to be tournaments everywhere for the kids. Now there's kids they are all sectioned off as the blue group, the yellow group, the white group, level one, two, three, four, five, six, back draws, front draws, abbreviated scoring, 10-point tiebreakers, no ad scoring. And before, I mean, I've been in tennis 47 years. I do not understand what the heck they're trying to do. We were a lot better off before computers. I think computers allowed Barney to run Mayberry on this one, folks. In other words, we got a little bit overzealous in trying to make things a little bit too uh, too sophisticated. Basically, you need to set the goals out there and let people go after them. I'm getting tired of hearing about this daggone pathway. Look, we need an expressway. We need a highway. And do not tell us, USTA, do not tell us that there's only this pathway and got to follow your pathway no give us the goals say go get it tell us what hill you want us to take don't tell us how to take the hill and the uh daggone handcuffs will be taken off of our creativity handcuffs will take and be taken off out of our our enthusiasm to teach to coach right now if it's the usta usta listen regardless of anything you think about what i'm saying this is a fact and I've been in the motivating young kids business for a lot and a lot of years. When you try to impose your program on someone, at the very best, you can have a copycat with some enthusiasm or a person who's number two at doing that because they're copycats. And nobody who's a copycat ever believes in their work, whether it's copycat to cheat or copycats with somebody else. Now, you can use ideas that are out there, but my golly, have we, uh, we, 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 you just cannot take away the creativity. You cannot dumb that down. And you didn't, you, you guys need to be in the business of giving us goals to go after, not, hey, this is the way you do it. And by the way, we're smarter than you. So, look, I, I, the whole deal here was the proof is in the pudding. Look, I love the United States of America, I love tennis. The, uh, and I love coaching and athletics and teaching, but uh, the reason that I talk about the politics of tennis so much, folks, is that, dang, my mind always has asked why. Why? Why does it work this way? What do we need to do? Uh, who needs to do it? And, and you're, if you have an inquisitive mind that asks questions of how to do it, what to do, when to do it, but most importantly, why things are happening, you, you, can, you can really get some things done. And I'm going to talk today about why we are dumbing down. Uh, folks, I, it's really frustrating. Dumbing down, say the least. Did I tell you in the whole state of South Carolina, we only have 40 kids signed up for green ball tennis? 40 in whole state. Are you kidding me? If you were in a program over in Charleston or Greenville or somewhere, you'd want 40 in your program if you don't have 40 in your club. But 40 in the whole state are signed up. So, again, I'm wondering why we are messing things up. And, again, the dumbing down does not inspire kids. It does not inspire coaches. 
telling everybody that you have to do things this way does not inspire. It does not inspire. So last week I got into participation versus performance and how we get them mixed up, and I gave a few ideas on the performance level competitions that we ought to separate uh, for the kids. And uh, it dawned on me uh, last week that I needed to talk more about the technical skill set for performance versus participation, but also I need to talk about the things that uh, really can help a coach, an organization, or the player themselves figure out where they really are. Now, stay with me here. There's a great coach up in the Clemson area named Mike Springlemeyer. And um, he, uh, now and then he'll drop diamonds out. You just catch them. It's pretty cool. You, you learn a lot if you just catch the diamonds that he drops. But one of the things, we were having this talk one time, and one of, one of the things he said is, he said people don't, number one, know where they're going because it's not about thinking they want to go a place. They don't know where where they are at. He said in goal setting, you need two things. You need to know where you're going, but you also need to know where you are at. So this brings me to the point of our program today. Is where, When is tennis participation and when is it, should it be a performance event? And this is where we get mixed up and messed up. And uh, look, folks, twice a week we have uh, women's groups I watch uh, here at our courts and compete. And listen, you want to see some intensity in competitive people? You look, you take a look at some of those 3.5 or 4.0 women's groups. Oh, my gosh. You only hope that you could get your high schoolers or your college players that intense. And some somewhat the same with weekend warrior men you know weekend warrior men you know they're they're uh, more hungry probably get a couple sets a little exercise get a couple beers afterwards but the women these women are locked in now to tell them that they are in a participation activity and not a performance activity that's where it it, it is really uh, a tough thing to do they all believe they're in a performance driven activity but they're not. They're not in a performance-driven activity. They're in a participation activity. Likewise, ten and under tennis. You know what? Ten and under tennis is a good teaching tool. You know what? No ad scoring is a teaching tool. You know what? Ten-point tiebreakers sometimes are a teach. They don't teach much. That's the problem with those things. And no ad doesn't teach much. But these are teaching tools like green balls, red balls, yellow balls. And these are all teaching tools. So we get them confused with what we should really be doing with performance events. Performance events should be about performance. And you know what that is? Winning or losing. And is winning more fun than losing? You bet. And when you tell people, hey, we're all out to have fun, you know what? It, it, at every level, winning is more fun than losing. 
but you know where I'm going with this. The performance events, last week I defined what I really believe the performance events are. And it's, it's real simple, but now listen, folks. What are the competitive performance events? I think junior tennis, 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s. And last week I brought up the fact I think we have too many divisions. Not only do we have the blue group, the red group, the yellow group, the peewee group, the uh, L1s, 2, 3s, 4s. My friends, I have a friend that's got a 10-year-old uh, son playing. He said, oh, we went over and played at L2, but it was a uh, Georgia level four. You know what? I'm sorry, but I don't understand what he's talking about. I don't understand. I've been in tennis 47 years, and I, I've been called slow before, but I'm very, very smart after I learn I am a slow – let me define this. I am a slow learner, but I am very, very smart after I understand – but, folks, I've been in tennis 47 years, and the USTA has made this daggone stuff with all these tournaments unrecognizable. It used to be that my son or your son could go over and play the Crackerland in Georgia. You could play the Crackerland tournament in Georgia, and you know what? You'd know what you were playing, and there were all kinds of levels there, and if you won the Crackerland, that was a big deal. And the kids in South Carolina could go play the Belton State Closed, and you know what? If you won it, and guess what? I went to a uh, Southern closed event in Greenville, Mississippi, my first year coaching. You know what? I remembered that tournament, and it was tough, all the best. And you know what? If you used to win Dallas, if you won Dallas, that was the national indoors, and that was a good event. Now, Dallas Dallas might be, oh, that's the uh, uh, L2 Nationals uh, red group, uh, by the way, uh, we only play no ad there, and uh, by the way, it's ridiculous. So, I mean, here, listen, hear me out. Competitive levels, juniors, 12, 14, 16, 18. I really believe you ought to just have 18s and 14s. That's it, okay, in a competitive level. That's it. Now, you need an 18 and over division or 19 and over division for all those men and those women who are need to play tournaments, we need tournaments of substance, the competitive level. Have you ever seen that there's nothing competitive for our people, our players, after age 18? They go off to college, but come on. They compete harder at beer drinking uh, beer drinking games on Friday nights, you know, beer, beer, what do they call it? beer ping pong and all that stuff. They compete at that stuff harder than they do in tennis after, if they're not on a college team. So it's it's laughable. We need a 19 over. Now, also, we need a state open for men, state open for women. Those are competitive, and we need our pros. That's it. And, by the way, the pros, just a quick side note, we need to dump the futures. allows too many pretenders to hang around. The future events do. We need the old satellites brought back. The reason I say this is those satellites were good filters to weed out the pretenders, the posers, from the real group, and we need filters, whether it's a, you need to play the satellites to get your cue card or your ATP card or whatever it may be, we need a system more like they have in professional golf, because we had too many pretenders hanging around with dad's diner club, I don't even know if they have diner club's card anymore, but people hanging around with their dad's credit card and living off their dad's dollar, 
saying if I just get one or two more of these futures in, I know I can break through, and they stay out there and travel around for three years. And, you know, it, it really, uh, we need to rethink that. So hear me again, competitive level tennis is juniors 12 and above, 10 and unders and all that stuff. That is performance, or excuse me, that is participation. Performance events are junior tennis. We need one type event for 19 and over men and women. We need the state open divisions. We need the pros. And listen now, listen, here's where we really have a sleeping giant. We need performance tennis to once again be the part of high school tennis. Instead of it being an after-school activity, we need performance tennis again in high schools. And how how do you do that, folks? You do it. You do it with a better format. And if you want to keep this dual match format that is really rinky-dink and good players don't even play in high school tennis anymore, you need every three to, I'll tell you what, first first weekend of every month or the last weekend of every month, have tournament tennis on that weekend for your high school kids, and you will get some good players playing once again. Once a month, tournament tennis, at least for your high school tennis. And uh, listen, talking about college, guys, I'm sorry to say uh, we might be in the age of, you know what, we have performance reality, but it's participation format. The performance reality is coaches are still going to get fired for not winning, but the frustrating thing is that it is participation format laughable, laughable it is that some matches last about an hour and 25 minutes laughable is college tennis that they are stopping matches when they're laughable that they play no ad scoring and foe. I'll just bring, you know, I talk about no ad, but I want you to chew on this one. That game point is worth eight points. Not, it's not worth one. It's not worth a game. It's worth eight. That one point, that is the, I'm not even going to go there. This is not the uh, date or time for that. So, Those are all the competitive arenas for competition. The performance arenas, once again, are these. For performance, USTA needs to have a separate little website and click on, and guess what? You're not going to find the 35 and over 3.5 mixed doubles women and men, even though they would like to think their performance. Again, let's go back to the Mike Springlemeyer comment people really need to know where they are they are at now is our barometer for excellence dumbed down that's the name of the show today is it dumbed down well i would guess so and we start when we give out so many participation trophies and we give out awards and on my desk right here i have no less than about 150 little buttons that the usta sent here they weren't passed out at last junior tournament. What does this say? A little cross brackets button that our kids are supposed to wear. It says sportsmanship. Yahoo. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? I'm sure that kids are just jumping for joy to get one of these. Be, a, be the happiest loser award. We ought to make it the happiest loser award. Then maybe it would have some bearing. We can't even get participation sportsmanship awards right, folks. We don't even know who the best sportsman is. We usually get it to the happiest loser kid instead, and the kid just rolls over and quits, 
instead of that great competitor who has to fight his uh, tough personality or her tough personality to deal with things. Sportsmanship trophies don't even matter. So that breakdown, performance versus participation, is something that has to be done, needs to be done as soon as possible. And back off the political correctness, USTA, ITA, you guys, you you know what, I'm sorry, but you're going to be the anchor that that uh, really held the boat down and uh, kept it from going forward if you don't, don't get it together and figure out how to make college tennis a performance activity once again. And uh, so with that, those are the goals are the things that as far as the performance and versus participation events as far as the competition. Now, someone asked me last week to discuss the difference between the skill sets needed for different arenas. And I'm going to go through this. I've got a couple phone calls been hanging on here, and I'll get a few ideas on stuff. I, I don't want to – you guys who are hanging on, i got five or six calls here. Um, hang on. I've got to get through this part. Uh, about the developmental stages of uh, different of different levels, and once again, uh, as I mentioned, we said the other, you know, the technical skills that are needed for performance versus participation are critical because if you don't get it right, your kids who are in participation, like my daughter who's nine, who I took out to the courts today, and I'm working with her, and she's in participation and having fun. And learning, if you if I don't get the technical skills right, she will never have a performance-driven career, or she will not be able to advance. And all of us know this. So let's start out here, very quickly. Pre-ten-year-old tennis. Let's talk about four things. Now here, here we go, folks. Four things for pre-ten-year-old. Get the footwork right. The fundamentals of footwork, recovery step, and basic grips and stroke work. Da-da. That's all simple. That's all simple, but that's what you do with participation pre-10-year-olds. Introduction to fitness, basic nutrition, equipment, care, and respect for the game. Respect for the game. You start talking to kids pre-10 years old about the history of the game, the great players. Hopefully they get posters in their room, and all the kids need role models. Let's get some kids uh into understanding history and the heritage game. You don't do it when you have 38 different formats and you, I'm not going to go there. I'm tempted so much to start talking about that, but how could we goof that up so bad? USTA, I'm blaming you guys. By the way, I'm going to throw this out there. The ITA and USTA, who named them as the governing bodies anyway? Who made them? Was this a decree from the president, whoever it was at that time, or they just claimed that they own tennis? You know, nobody owns tennis. Who owns tennis? Nobody does. But we all do, don't we? Every participant does. USTA and ITA, you guys go back to being service organizations instead of marketing firms. Right now you are marketing guys. My good friend, um, my good friend J.P. Weber one time, he told me, he said, where we are messing up is we've let the marketeers run tennis. And when you let the marketeers run tennis, it is no longer the educational. You're after something from it, and those tennis gods will cut it up 
and they will not even deal with you anymore. Well, minute that, that that's as simple as the problem might be. We'll come back to that. Pre-10-year-old, fundamental footwork, recovery steps, basic stroke work and grips, introduction to fitness is number two, the basic nutrition, how to take care of their body. Basically, basic shot fundamentals, making a lot of cross-court shots. How about that? In some competitive situation, based on their maturity and where they're at, but it's, again, it is a participation stage. How about age 10 to puberty? You know, uh, I said 12 and under, but basically age 10 to puberty is still uh, a developmental participation stage. How about continued, number one, continued work on footwork, recovery steps, and, and a little bit more advanced stroke work. Number two, tennis-specific movement drills. You could introduce a little bit of strength training there, but nothing with weights, folks. Nothing with weights, age 10 to puberty. If you do bands or something like that, keep it simple. Just, um, you know, it's really critical. You can do push-ups, sit-ups, those things, introduce them to calisthenics. Number three, discipline, shot selection, fundamentals. I would go to the Wardlaw Directionals, Paul Wardlaw Directionals, um, at age 10 and up and try to start teaching the kids about uh, Wardlaw's theories on inside balls, outside balls, and 90-degree change of directions and when to do it and where they're at on the court. And if they're back beyond the baseline on the court, high cross court, and if they're up one foot in, two feet inside the baseline, they might be able to change direction with an inside ball and only go down the line if you can hit a winner. Teach our kids to go cross court. Don't go down the line until they know, until they're really, really developed. Boy, that works great if you can just hold off on that a little bit. Introduction to transition game uh, would be a third thing between 10 and puberty. You know, I mean, a little bit on weapon development, a little bit on weapon development and transition game, volleying approaches. Then how competitive situ have some competitive situation where they learn how to play full matches and go three full sets. Guess what? Learn the history of the game and continue to teach the kids this respect that they need to have for our great game. Now, folks, those are all participation learning times. Now, look. Is this a pathway? No. These are suggestions. These are learning tools. And, but guess what? This will allow you to make your own pathway. This will allow you to do what you need to do to help your child, and you will have ownership over your coaching and teaching, and that youngster will have ownership over their destination with their game. So it's really, really important to understand the difference between the age-related and the uh, where where they're at it again. It's pre-10, and then it's probably from 10 to puberty. All right, now here we go. There's there is a difference now when we start going to post-puberty. And you know what? I got to do that commercial. I'll be right back. Uh, I got to do it, and we'll be right back here in a minute with American Tennis. Is Coach Chuck Creasy.
This is Coach J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. In my 30 years' experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis, and over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at ChuckCreasy.net. That's ChuckCreasy.net. Overload training, 
for your movement recovery step shot selects let's start getting physical with it with the kids weapon and first exchange development as first exchange means your serves returns and developing a weapon also your daily fitness routines of anaerobic speed and agility and your strength training but your anaerobic i call it anaerobic endurance now that is a they go against each other because anaerobic means usually activities up to about we'd have to ask the physiology people but it's about 40 to 50 to 70 seconds i don't think uh it's right in there. I know that uh, right up there somewhere your anaerobic system kicks out and your oxygen system needs to kick in. But we need anaerobic endurance, speed and agility, strength training, and doing aerobic work as well. So now we're getting serious, folks. Advanced shot selection strategies, excuse me, introduction to momentum control tactics and when do you do what and what plays do you run and what are the tactical approaches to the game Com competition and tournament formats of significance not participation level activities of non-significance where they pass out these silly daggone little medals i've got it's 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 really something i i do not know the people who do this stuff, obviously, were, I, I don't know. I'm not going to hack on them, but my golly, who thought that one up? Mentoring responsibilities to younger players should begin. You need to start getting your players to mentor to younger players and help other people out. Three-tier mentoring program. I'm doing an article right now. Three-tier mentoring. Look for it. Uh, but everybody needs to have someone above them, someone below them, someone even with them. So usually the pre-puberty ages are different for everybody, and puberty happens at a different level. But once puberty kicks in, competition gets really, really important. Girls usually, we all know that, they mature a little bit quicker. Their age, uh, I think they at 14, 15, 16 is usually like a boy's 16, 17, 18. I'm not saying two years, but maybe they're a year ahead usually. But the next post-puberty skill sets for performance now think about this boys usually around 16 to 21 college age or girls 15 to college age uh you know somewhere in there but you get the drift of what i'm talking about heavy overload training a lot of two-on-ones tempo work first exchange works weapon development all of these things two-a-day training would help i always used to tell players you want to be a player you got to play twice a day once in the morning, you get certain things in, uh, work on skill sets, then um, in the afternoon competition or overload training, but twice a day training, yes. doesn't have to be eight hours, but it should be three or four hours for sure total. But the, the, broken, the training that's broken up, it, it comes to a crescendo, and uh, then when it's out of gas, you can shut it down sometimes if you know you're coming back later in the day. Listen, folks, this is important. No clock on skill set acquisition. This is very important. You know, Thomas Edison never had a stopwatch, a clock, or a watch in his laboratory because this is the way we learn. We need to learn with the, uh, what's the force? Is it centrif centrifugal force? You understand, like a gyroscope, that's the way your mind works. It builds up to a crescendo 
you learn and then it slows down. Your mind is not a light switch and neither are any of the kids with their skill sets. So we d try to stay off the clock uh, as much as you can. And daggone it, we're under such a governor on our engines. We have so many governors on our engines with college and things that we have to do things with the clock. I try to stay off of it, though. Single elimination of single elimination competition and doubles competition with advanced skill sets, mentoring responsibility, and leadership development. Folks, that those are really look. You can email me at chuckcreasy at uh, gmail. Chuckcreasy at gmail dot com is my new email that is out there, and I will send you this handout. Chuckcreasy at gmail dot com. So. Anyhow, we've got a couple callers here. I'm going to see if anybody wants to talk uh, this morning and just a few ideas, and then we'll try to wrap her up for the day. And this area code 772589, would you like to be on the show today? Hello? 772. Okay. I don't, Coach, don't hear anybody. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I was just truthfully just looking and listening, but uh, I have company at the house and they're out, so I figured I'd listen live rather than uh, Oh, not. you're this awful kindness, uh, Coach John Denise. Coach Denise, thank you very much for listening in. And folks, well, listen, well, we, had, well, I have, yeah, and, uh, we had the privilege of meeting um, Brian Harrison, father. He just won the Memphis Open, and it was a pleasure when he got, won the trophy to have him talk a little emotional about his mother and father. But just what you were talking about before about college and why they go pro and everything. But it's nice to see a young man like that. But I'm going to go back to listening because uh, – I normally don't hear you live, but my company is out shopping now. Okay, well, that's awesome. And, folks, uh, Coach Denise's program is 530 every uh, Thursday. But I wanted to say something while we have you online, uh, John, about okay. uh, Ryan Harrison. Uh, one, one of the things that was very interesting when we were having a, our um, symposium or get-together or our pro, uh, we got together in uh, – our meeting in Florida, we had uh, had his his dad with us, and I wanted to tell everybody one thing that was very interesting, and this fits right into the format today. He said, Ryan, I think I asked a question, actually. I said, Pat, when did you know Ryan made a breakthrough? What was the defining moment? And, he, and if you remember, John, he says, we knew because he was at the Orange Bowl when he was 14, which is hard to get there, but he lost 0-0 to somebody. He said he hurt for two days, and he told his dad, I never, ever, ever want to feel that way again. And there was no consolation. There was just the next tournament to get ready for. And and his dad said that was a turning point for Ryan Harrison. It's pretty cool, though, right? Can you, you it can was. I remember your question, and I remember his answer. That was a cool moment. Yeah, it really was, but well, listen, John, I'm almost ready to get off, so I hate to cut you off there. But, folks, that's Coach uh, John Denise, and we appreciate it. And uh, you other, call, the other callers, I'd um, call in next week, area code 714-583-6853, and we'll try to get to uh, as many as we can. And the two that just hung up, I'm sorry, 
wasn't able to get to you today, uh, but, but call back if you can. Folks, it's real simple. We don't need to dumb down anything as far as education is concerned. Nothing. Show the kids the top of the mountain. Sometimes you have to keep fog on top of the mountain until they're too high up to turn back. Sometimes the kids get scared. The kids get scared. But show them the top of the mountain and tell them to go get it and do not over uh, regulate, do not govern everything, do not do micromanagement where it's paralysis by analysis. We've got to cut loose on the creativity and ingenuity of our children, our coaches. And USTA, you know what? You're a service organization. You're not the, who, who called you the governing body? Why, why are you the governing body? ITA, you guys call you the governing body of college tennis? Why? Because you said so? No, you're not. You're a lobbyist group. And I hate to be so blunt, but, guys, we need you guys to step up. Great organizations. Uh, excuse me, great organizations, good people. I think you guys are doing the wrong thing. I think you're you're dumbing down stuff. We need we need a we need you to show us the goal and sort of get out, get the heck out of our tennis. Give us some goals to go after, but get the heck out of our tennis, folks. Go out and teach somebody tennis. This sport is awesome. We really appreciate listening. This made in America. of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do, folks, about a win or a loss. God bless you all. See you next week on American Tennis. Opinions stated by various contributors to the UR Tennis Network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the UR Tennis Network. Participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions. All information, products, and services offered by the UR Tennis Network are for personal use only. The UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network. Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual.